and welcome to Making Our Way podcast, where we take a deep dive into the projects and creative process of our fellow makers. I'm Austin from High Caliber Craftsman, and I'm excited to join you for this episode with Dean Duplantis and Christy from Twisted Twine Woodworking. Hey guys, good to see you this week. Hey, hey man, hey. what's up? So Dean, what are you been up to? You know, it's funny, this long holiday weekend, and I feel so unproductive. It was like a weekend of just general housekeeping. So, uh, you know, it was a holiday weekend. So we had a barbecue we went to, we had a kid's birthday we went to. And in the between time, uh, we worked on cleaning the back patio, just sucking up spider webs. And we actually have a lot of brown recluses that love our back patio and they make quite the web and they like to hide in the darkest of places. So you'll flip over and you'll flip over a couch cushion. <laughs> There's this giant ass spider that was hanging out in the dark recesses of the backside. You've got to suck up. It's always treacherous when you go to get more char- charcoal out of the cabinet and then you open the door and it looks like the scene from Gremlins. And I'm like, I don't know if the charcoal is worth this or not. Uh, but we, we never really had problems with them until this last year. And I don't know if it was the freeze or I don't know what, or just it's so hot. We don't, oh, it rained here for like six months. So mm-hmm. we didn't go outside March, April, May because it was raining nonstop and the spiders just took over the back patio. So all that to say a lot of times scrubbing couch cushions, cleaning uh, nooks and crannies. And um, back on the uh, Stevie episode, Christy talked about those uh, lumber racks that she got on Amazon. So way back then I bought two boxes of them and I never put them up. And so this last weekend on a Friday night, I put one up in the bathroom and I put one up over my metal aid and I'm trying to sort through wood. So the original lumber rack, I want to put all the real big boards up there. But right now I have trouble getting those because I have so many small boards stacked on top of them. So I'm going to move the medium sized ones to one rack and the small boards to the, the rack in the bathroom. So um, that's kind of what I did. Just worked on the patio and, and hung those lumber racks. I don't think that was near as good as the weekend Miss Christie had, what were you up to? Uh, we kind of had a relaxing weekend as well. We went down to the cabin and just kind of get away, which is nice between, you know, the house moves, the prepping for the wedding and everything. It was just nice to get away. So the weather cooperated for us really well on Sunday. Um, we went out on the little, I am not a water person in general, um, but the river is mild. It's my kind of, it's my kind of space. So we're on this little two seater boat and, we were out there for a couple hours down this one direction and nothing. I mean, Marvin caught like five or six and I got nothing. I got no bites. Well, I got a few like nibbles and then I couldn't, I could not land a fish to save my life. And, but it was still, the weather was nice, really enjoyed it. And then we went down to the other area, which is kind of closer to the cabin there where we get out of the water. And, and then I would, it was starting to hit. We were, the sun was going down a little bit, you know, so I was finally starting to reel some in and, we had, oh, probably 16 fish or so. And we're thinking, well, that's, you know, that's going to do us pretty good. And we were just, I mean, we were about to totally call it quits. And, and I uh, cast my line and it, I thought I was stuck and it wasn't. And then all of a sudden it started pulling on the other side. And, and then this fish, I mean, it was like freaking Moby Dick coming out of the water. Oh, I was like, and I didn't squeal. I didn't get all giddy because I was afraid it was going to like get loose, you know, like just tear my line or whatever. Cause I wasn't prepared for this. And thankfully Marvin was like, 
it's okay. Give it time, you know, real slow because I, you know, I'm wanting to just like get it in the boat before it gets off. But with fishing, you got to be patient. You got to let it, especially larger fish when you don't have the proper equipment, you got to give it a little time to wear itself out out there. And we didn't have a net with us at all, um, but made its way over there. And, and Marvin was able to, to snatch it out of the water. And and then he hadn't even got the, the hook out of it. And I normally take my own fish off the hook. I don't mean it that way, but we were, we were both working on getting this, um, getting this fish properly handled and, and, um, and hooked because I was just afraid it was just going to like literally jump out of our hands and back into the water. What did it weigh? Uh, we didn't weigh it, but it was 19 and a half inches long. 19 and a half inch long bass. Yeah. I'm sure there's some online bass calculator we can, we can type in and figure it out, but I've never caught a fish that big. Yeah, not a bass. Fun. Yeah. I, I had caught, um, catfish bigger than that. Yeah. Cause you know, we would do other types of fishing. Uh, but as far as, yeah, as far as on a regular rod and reel, that was the biggest, uh, fish I caught. And it, I mean, I, I was, I was grinning from ear to ear, totally giddy about it. So that was two things I wanted to say about the photo was one, the genuine excitement on your face. Like that was not, that was an excited, happy smile on your face when you sent us the picture this weekend. And I could tell that a lady was doing the picture because you held the fish up right next to you where guys know the old trick, you hold it out away from you. That's right. So it looks a little bigger. You know, you always hold it out as far as you can. So it looks a little bigger. Well, we actually, Marvin had me take the, you know, stretch your arms out toward the camera picture. There you go. So All right. That's it. Those, Marvin knows. We sent those pictures to his buddies. Yeah. Um, but me being the number nerd accountant, I'm like, no, I need, I need a real, uh, a real comparison of this, of this fish. I need it to look authentic. So, um, so yeah. And we'll, we'll post those on the stories on the, on the face, on the, uh, Instagram page too. So people can see <laughs> my weekend. So Austin, what were you up to? So actually I was doing a lot of what Dean was doing, uh, cleaning up the back patio area. And cause it's, it was my wife's birthday and my youngest son's birthday this weekend. So we had a, a really busy weekend. Um, but I also worked on the anvil stands, finishing those up. Um, the, the one step that I had left out, cause I was like, I'm going to get these like 90% done, get the old grant method going. Well, the, the, the final step was <laughs> after everything's done, flip it upside down, fill it full of sand, weld the bottom plate on paint the bottom. I'm like, okay, no problem. So I do it, flip it over. And I'm, I'm like, Oh, let me put it on the floor. And I'll, what I'll do is I'll, I'll grind the paint off the top. That way I've got a way, a place to ground this for welding the, the bottom plate. Um, so I set it on the a metal plate on the concrete floor and then I just start dumping sand and I I'm like not even paying attention how much sand I'm dumping in. And then I go, I'm like, okay, cool. Weld the bottom on. How am I going to, pick this freaking thing up it's huge and it's super it's and i found i went outside and pulled all the bags of sand out the empty bags out 200 pounds of sand inside the, i was like oh my god well that's Plus still in this, your range you talk about all the time hauling 400 pound tools around yeah oh no it's cool the problem is is i don't have anywhere to grab it 
because it's right. the way, you know, I couldn't get my fingers under it. There's no, it's all slick and angled. There's no way you can just like wrap a strap. Like it's, and plus I didn't want to rip one of the logo. Like it's all painted and finished on the outside and I'm not trying to damage it. So finally uh, I was like, you know what I'm going to do, man? I'm going to just cut a link off of a bit. I have this huge old chain that I found on my property. That's probably hundred years old. I'm going to cut a link of that off and I'm just going to weld it on the bottom. Who cares? You're never going to see it. Right. So I do that, weld it on the bottom, come in with the tractor, hook it up to a chain, yank it right out of the shop. Then I was able to finish it out, you know, paint the bottom and flip it over. Um, but that being said, I, so I started doing the math quickly and I'm pretty sure that my anvil stand is going to be like pushing, I'd say like 800 pounds, uh, with when oh the anvil Lord. goes on. Which is wow. cool. That's within the weight limits of my tractor. The only thing I'm worried about is um, I don't want it to like, I don't want to bust it up trying to strap it and move it because my blacksmith shop is a hundred yards away. And obviously I'm not carrying that. So I think I'm going to have to like just lift it into the back of the pickup, drive it over there to drive the tractor after it, or just try to get it up on the fork somehow. You think but, um, Pepe can handle that kind of weight? Absolutely. And the mule. It can definitely, I think it's rated for 800. So we'd be right. We'd be right at it. Um, I have to do them one at a time for sure. I showed my wife Pepe uh, this weekend. Uh, I guess your dad did a project with him. Um, maybe a paver project. I can't remember, yeah. but yeah, uh, she was so excited. She was like, Oh my God, where do we get one? I'm like, lady, calm down. What are we going to do with that? Let's buy some land first and you can get all the mini trucks you want. We can have a whole fleet of mini trucks, but yeah, we don't have no so, room for that in the city. So I'm filming for, you know, for the anvil stand video and I'm throwing all these bags of sand on the tractor. And I'm like, this is like a perfect opportunity to throw Pepe in this video, you know, cause the, so it's a, it's a, it's a Subaru sandbar, which is like a Japanese mini truck and it's left-hand drive or uh, right-hand drive. I mean, and um, the actual beds, the side walls of the truck bed lay down. So you can yeah. actually, it, it turns into a flatbed essentially. So it's super easy to stack like bags of dirt, bags of sand, bags of mulch, and it almost will carry the, as much as an F-150. Uh, it's, it's payload capacity is insane. So I was like, man, we really blew it. Like I could have been carrying this 800 pounds of sand in the back of this thing instead of on the tractor. But, um, but yeah, it's uh, so far they're coming out super cool. I'm hoping to have them completely done tomorrow. Um, but one other thing I did, which is kind of weird, uh, you know, you were talking about cleaning the back patio. I have a massive uh, 18 by 20 foot sun sail uh, on the back porch that, that we on the over top of the back deck just to kill some of the heat because it's so it's it's like direct sun all day. And uh, it ripped in that last hurricane uh, that came close by. So our little mini burst or whatever that storm was that came by. So <laughs> I was out there trying to get that fixed before the party. I ended up taking a piece of paracord stripping out the internals and using that nylon cord, putting it with two um, leather stitching uh, needles. And I saddle stitched it back together. I was sitting on the back oh. porch saddle stitching. My wife comes out. She's like, what are you doing? And I was like, no, you married a Renaissance man. I'm out here sewing this baby, you know? <laughs> so I actually did it with that paracord, put it up. We had this crazy storm come through over the weekend, held up like a champ. I was like, man, save 150 bucks of having to buy a new one. And it took Absolutely. you what, seven hours to sew? No, it's just like seven minutes. I didn't do a good job. I just, you know, <laughs> got it back together. <laughs> I, 
I got it 90%. It's there so funny go, the Graham. things we do. Uh, last year, uh, 2019, I had bought a inflatable pool for the dog and it, it was nice. It had a pump. It had two jets, um, but it was this inflatable pool and she would come out and jump into it and slide. But same thing. It was s- direct sunlight in the afternoon. And so I went and bought some of that sunbrella fabric and I made an awning that came off my workshop. I don't even do this for myself when I'm out there right. working. And I made this awning that came out and I'd made some poles to hold it. And my wife came home and she was like, what are you doing? I was like, it's hot. The dog is, she's getting sunburned. And it was just such a ridiculous thing, but it's what I wanted to do that day. Hey, I made a cat castle, so I cannot, uh, I cannot hold you it against you to make a, a dog awning. Today we're joined here with Brad uh, from Bradley Putters. It's great to have you. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm 33. got a wife and three kids. I have a three-week-old at home. And uh, I make just ridiculously custom putters where uh, they tell a story that, um, yeah, just, there's, there's nothing like them. Wait, you said 33, three kids, three wives, everything's three, in three, huh? Three wives, yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah. you know, you gotta, no, I'm not even going to try a joke in that because it's going to come out terribly. But uh, yeah, I've been married for 10 years and um, live in Southern Oregon, uh, about two and a half hours from Bandon Dunes. And yeah, spent a lot of time up on uh, the the uh, Pacific Ocean. So my uh, wife's family lives in Pacific City and we go there pretty much every other weekend. So we put a lot of miles on our car. <laughs> Yeah. You're, you're, um, what you make is it's such a niche kind of market. I hadn't seen anything like this whenever uh, we ran across you on Instagram. How did you find, or how did you, yeah. How did you find yourself in this type of project? Yeah. Yeah. So I I was an engineer first, went to Oregon state, got my uh, mechanical engineering degree in the honors college and then spent, you know, roughly 10 years, you know, it started during really during high school, um, working with an engineering company, designing military equipment to survive nukes and programming in like 10 different languages and doing all sorts of R and D projects. They wanted me to move to Virginia. I wanted to stay put. And so, uh, black Friday of 2016, I was in this really high end artisan. Um, it's called the real mother goose, really high end wood craft store, uh, downtown Portland. And I saw this wooden drum and I pictured a golf ball dropping on it. And that was kind of the spark. Um, and I knew there's this place called Oregon Burrows here in, in Grants Pass, Oregon, knew that I had this resource. And so that was black Friday, 2016, Saturday, built the website, Sunday did designs, Monday did putter one, Tuesday, putter two, Wednesday shafted them, Thursday had them on the course. And then within two months, the uh, PGA show in Orlando, um, golf.com said we were the coolest product there. So we just kind of oh, hustled. Wow. That's amazing. I love the way you described the, you saw a wooden drum and pictured a golf ball. And in my head, I saw Isaac Newton sitting under the apple tree, like just yeah. where, you know, where inspiration hits, you never know. That was amazing. You just run with it. Yeah. I just kind of wanted to see, um, you know, I got and the first idea was to make it more of like a hollow putter and then like it would make a really warm, cool sound and it would just look cool. That was a terrible idea, but <laughs> it led to better ideas. And so then I've got like the first one in the shop here. Um, and then I broke the second one intentionally. Like I took it to the driving range to see how harder, like how durable are these? What am I going to need to work with? And then just kept experimenting and started documenting the process on Instagram. Um, and yeah, just one thing led to the next. My head is spinning now. There's so there. I have so many questions and I'm trying to get myself a little better organized because so much information at once. Okay. So, so you, you like within a matter of days, you've got this business 
running. You've got this idea literally running with it. I just want to slow down on that for a little bit. You're a, you're big in golfing. I'm, I'm assuming, right? Yep. Okay. So you're, you're a big golfer. So you were building your ideal putter. Is that a safe assessment? Yeah. Um, kind of, I mean, it was, I took the things I know I like to do. Like I, I know I like woodworking. My dad was a woodworker. He said, I am sitting watching movies and watch him making these really cool, uh, highly detailed boxes to sell at Christmas time. So that was kind of always something that I um, enjoyed doing. I've got scars on me from like dropping scalpel or exacto uh, knives on me as a kid when I wasn't supposed to play with them. And so, yeah, I've always, you know, I used to whittle things, uh, watching TV, just like whittling balsa wood stuff. So I've always loved that aspect. And then I love problem solving, love researching and designing stuff, love the art side of it as well. And so I really just thought up something that I'm going to like doing all those things and then figured out how to turn a, a business out of it. So I, how can I get people to pay me money to do things that I like to do? Wow. And then I just kept making the decisions as the business goes along to do the things that I like to do and I want to do. And, you know, tried a few things that, you know, with different employees and other stuff that didn't like the direction it was going. So I pivoted and just kept doing the things that I enjoy doing. So with the business, uh, I mean, so did you, how long did it take to where you were at the point where you were actually selling, where you were actually, you know, making a little money on these? Uh, weeks, like if that, I mean, it, it, because of Instagram, I was showing everybody literally everything. Like, um, and even now I show people how I do everything because how we do stuff this week is better than how we did it last week. So I'm not afraid of showing somebody I mean, I've got a patent on the process. Um, you know, if someone just straight copies me, then I'll call them out. But it's rare and it's it's a very hard business to make work because you've got to have notoriety. You've got to, um, there's so many different ways for things to go wrong. So yeah, it's a, um, it, it's a tough business to make it work, but it made it like the social media aspect and just showing everybody, this is how I do everything. It It makes it so I've got a lot of like, fans, follower people that you know, are, are messaging me all the time. Like my DMS are just explode every day. Um, but then someone wants to buy a putter, like, Hey, like I, you know, today guy, like, Hey, I've been following for three years. So you know, take that long to get them to buy the putter. But then it's, it's a lot of the, the slow play stuff where I'm just, um, just showing cool stuff until finally someone's like, now I know what I want to do. I'm going to run with that idea. I've always been big on be transparent, be open because no one's, you have all this background leg work that anyone who tries to jump in and copy the process you're doing today is going to stumble because they don't have the five right. years experience to catch up. So my question is when you're very transparent like that, you said your DMS are blowing up. Do you get a lot of people maybe giving you ideas or suggestions that spark and, and help build your business any? Uh, Sometimes I mean, there's certain times where I mean, like people say, oh, you should embed this. You should embed that. You should um, you know, try these different things, but those kind of just get tucked into the folds of my brain because I don't make really any putters on spec. Like I don't make a putter and say, Oh, I hope this sells. Like every putter we do is a custom project where someone called me up and we came up with a design, spend about a half hour on the phone and then start the project for them, making them something crazy. So, um, people will often say, Oh, you should make this putter. I'm like, yeah, as soon as someone wants to buy a putter like that with a horse hoof in it. Sure. I'll do that. But like, <laughs> yeah. I'm not just going to go out and make it for the fun of it. But I mean, we've made, you know, thousand plus putters by now and, um, using all those different, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll pull from all sorts of crazy recesses. Um, and then I get on like kicks every swap and we're like embedding certain things or 
doing engravings a certain way, like doing cart right, right now I'm doing some interesting, like cartoonish looking figures on the bottom of a couple of them. But yeah, it's just interesting how it goes like in cycles where um, I tell people on the phone all the time, there's literally millions of different directions we could go with every putter. A lot of people, you know, some artists are like, Oh, I want you to give me money and leave me alone. I'm like, there's a million directions I can go and I want to write your story. So tell me, don't tell me what you want for your putter necessarily. Tell me what stories you want told. And then I'll throw out five different ideas of how we could incorporate that story onto the putter. And then if you like one of those, we'll run with it. Or if you're like, Oh, actually I like that. But if we do this instead, that's perfect. And then we run with that. So every single putter is unique and different and it might pull from previous ones, but it's just, it's a brain session where we, come up with something that's just going to be totally unique and wild and not necessarily wild. Like there's a lot of times people call me up and want something that's just, um, you know, it's all about matching their style. Like guy today, he's like, Oh, I don't want anything blue. So we're going to stay away from blue. Other people love blue. Like each person is entirely unique. And I try and figure them out before we start on their putter. What's the normal process as far as timeline for once you've come up with, this is what it's going to look at. What's your normal length of time in order to get that putter made? Yeah, two months ish. Like ish is a strong word. Uh, sometimes they're fast. Sometimes it's, you know, we've got wood stabilized, ready to go. Like I try and do some things ahead of time that are just, you know, no matter what the putter is, it's still going to need a piece of wood. And if it's stabilized, we can just pour acrylic and run. Great. Um, but then there's times where, so like most are in that kind of six to eight week range. Um, but sometimes I'll, like, you know, I did a donut putter recently where I had no awesome. great idea how I was going to do it. And so that one took like five, six months because it took a lot of R and D of trying things. Um, I had to de- like working with Illumilite resin. I had to create a mold. Um, so first I used a, uh, just a, a filament, uh, 3d printer to create an icing mold. And then I had to, then I tried to pour a silicone, um, you know, mold into that. and so then I could pour acrylic, but then the silicone mold had too many like of the lines from the, um, the FDM 3D printer. So then I used some uh, Illuminate UV resin and filled that in and then made a mold from that. And then uh, once I had the mold ready, then I poured acrylic in it, but then I had to get the timing right because I wanted to be able to take it off and have it kind of, you know, drip over a, um, uh, a donut looking piece. And so then I had to do a bunch of different times where I'm literally just sitting there for a half hour, poking it until it's like the right consistency and then still doing it too early and messing everything up. Um, so yeah, there's certain putters where it takes a lot of time to come up with how am I going to do this? Cause I've never done it, but then I can use those methods for the next one. So it's every time or every month we're getting that much better with our putters because we're incorporating some technique that we finally figured out how to do. Do you ever like be like, I'm going to, I'm going to start three of these identical putters so that just in case one doesn't quite work out or in case you want to experiment as you go, or do you just start with, this is, this is the one and this is the one. I do. It's a serial process. So rather than going parallel, um, because with parallel, I would be incorporating ideas that like I, I would be starting from the same knowledge base for all three of them. Um, and I would rather do one all the way through. And then if it fails, my failure point may have been at the beginning. I just won't know where that failure point was. So it's like the thing about putters is there's very few times that a deadline is really that critical. Like there's some, and I you know, hit those deadlines as much as I can, but more often than not, someone just wants something sick. So um, trying to 
do a parallel process before you have your system completely down is just a recipe for failure. Like, you know, if, if you're like Henry Ford, everyone's like, oh, I got to Henry Ford that thing. It's like, no, uh, in, until you have like, don't build a, your first car like Henry Ford. Henry, like by the time he was doing that, he was cranking out, you know, thousands of them and had you know, done a lot of R and D first. So do your R and D serial process. You know, you, you can test 10 things at once. If you're testing a certain cure time or something, um, you know, you're trying to you know, figure out one certain variable, but no, I, I tell people like you're buying a putter that you've n- never seen before. Like whatever we're going to do for you has not existed. And so because of that, where we use a software called Trello, which I'll get into and like, they can see what we're doing as we're doing it. And then if they want to tweak something, they can tweak it. Um, but I mean, we don't even know what the putter is going to look like until it's done. Like, yeah, as you go through each layer of wood, the grain changes, um, you know, the, we don't do mock-ups for people. We just make the putter. And if they're like, ah, it's not great. Then we do it again, because if we did a mock-up, we can't get the putter to look like the mock-up either. So it's kind of like the first thing someone sees, they usually love. And so we try and just make the, their actual putter be the first thing they see and make them love that. What kind of staffing? I mean, how many uh, employees or, or coworkers or do you all have there? For staffing, I just have one employee. So it's me and oh. uh, Brett. We we do everything. So I take all the orders. I do the business side of stuff. I create the blocks, um, do a lot of the artwork. And then Brett does the um, the the weighting, the shaping, the engraving, the um, the doing the engraving, like the pores, the acrylic pores on that, the shafting. And then... Yeah, I may add another employee next year just to fill in a few other things, but we're just, I have a lot of software, my back end that controls a lot of um, where everything's at and, you know, just makes it so that I can control everything, but from a software standpoint, rather than from a people standpoint, and then I can add people as needed. But we try and keep about 30 to 40 putters in the works at any one time and then just have software tracking where everything's at. You know, you talk about the software and the back end. I was really surprised. I went on your website earlier today when I was doing my research and the pictures on your website are very current. I mean, they're, they're about as current as the Instagram or, or the same. It literally just pulls my Instagram feed. Yeah. I, I, that was really, I was really impressed because a lot of times you go to websites and the information's, you know, really old or they don't mm. even have that model anymore. So that was, um, that was pretty impressive. When I did the website entirely myself. So I, um, you know, know the back end on all of it. If I need to change anything, uh, I did it they're using WooCommerce uh, and the, the TM extra product option. So um, it's, you know, as I'm going through, I'm, I'm talking to the person, you know, over the phone and then I'm filling out the same builder that they could use. I have a few you know, extra forms I could add, but um, yeah, I'm able to like choose the, the, sh- the style, the shape, the shaft color, the engravings, upload stuff, whatever. I built all that into just an online form. And so, and then what's really cool is once that's done, um, I use another piece of just online software called Zapier and it pulls all the metadata from that order form and it automatically populates my Trello. Um, so my Trello workflow, it populates all those different cards. And then it also populates a database, um, an Airtable database. So then I can see like, you know, depending on where everything's at in the processes, how many grips am I going to need? How many head covers am I going to need? I can just pull that up in the database. Whereas Trello is a bit more in the weeds, which is great for the individual ones, but wanting to be able to see what do I need for supplies for the next three months, I can just pull up a certain view in Airtable and see that perfectly. So yeah, software on the back end makes my world go round. It's, I, I couldn't do this without it. And so like pretty much once I knew this, like this idea was going to work, like I got back from the PGA show. I remember, um, I sat down and watched the masters, I think wife and kids, 
went to a, um, I think it was wife and kid at that point, uh, went to bend for the weekend and I just sat down and started programming. And so I just made sure that as I, as soon as an order came in, the software put all the instructions where it needed to go and just gave me a workflow so that nothing would get missed. So that, you know, if I take five orders in a day, they're all get tracked perfectly. And I have to remember like, wait, who said what, or go from my paper notes back and forth. It's just all perfectly, uh, put right where it needs to be. And then my customer can see it too and can verify and can upload stuff there as well. And it just did, you know, it's something as personalized as my putters, having people be able to feel like they can look over my shoulder and see what we're doing. When we live in kind of the middle of nowhere, Southern Oregon, um, it's pretty ideal. The accountant in me absolutely loves everything that you just covered because that, I mean, that is right down my alley as, as the accountant here. Um, do you take care of, I mean, you're taking care of, so many different areas of your business. I mean, do you even take care of your bookkeeping and all that kind of stuff yourself or do yeah, you outsource? There you go. I've, I've gotten a, an accountant for some of the tax stuff, like, you know, make sure I don't right. miss anything big. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've got QuickBooks with everything just has rules for most of it. And then, um, I mean, I've just, I've got all of my cash flow stuff down to a relative science where I know exactly when bills are coming out and, um, you know, I try not to get too much into the weeds on some of the business stuff, but you know, at the end of the day, you got to be able to pay bills. So that's, um, well, and you got to know, yeah, you got to know your cash flows. And and I know mm -hmm. I've had a lot of these conversations with different makers or in different maker groups and honest to God, you could teach a class on this. I'm talking about the oh, book, yeah. the, the business side of it, because yeah. you don't have a business or accounting background that, you know, that you've mentioned so far. And I'm I've like, got a business minor from college. Oh, actually, okay. So. Cause you, yeah. you really, um, have got that nailed down and, and that is as important, I think anyway, because you don't want to be, you don't want to be upside down in your business. You don't want to lose track of your costs. You don't want to pay more than you need to in taxes. So all of these aspects are spot on systems, from my like perspective. having ideas and having design and having all that you know, artsy fun stuff is great. But if you don't have the systems to support that, you're going to fail at some point. Like you've got to have systems in place, but with good systems, you can be even more creative and you can like, there's no limit to how wild you can get. And then you can scale too. Like if you have good mm -hmm. systems, you can scale. If you don't have systems, you can't scale. Have you ever been scammed or a victim of financial fraud or does that stuff only happen to Austin? <laughs> Savage. Uh, actually funny enough. Um, like because I do a phone call with every person that helps a ton. Um, they, I do guarantee that people love my putters. So if they don't, I'd give them a refund. I made one guy like three putters and he's like, ah, I just want a refund. And so, uh, yeah, that was really annoying. And so I didn't blast him specifically on Instagram cause I wouldn't do that, but I said how annoying a customer was. And then a bunch of people bought putters and made me feel better. So that was good. <laughs> um, but, and then, yeah, so I just got, it's super weird. I'm going to just reject them all. I got like two grand worth of ball markers purchased literally like yesterday, I think it was, it might've been the day before that. Um, and they bought like two grand worth of ball markers, but there's no, like the address to send them to isn't good. The phone number I call isn't good. And all the oh. email addresses are all wonky. I'm like, I'm going to just reject these because that's not a thing. And I don't want to make two grand worth of ball markers and ship them off and have them come back. And then I, I don't get what the scam is there necessarily because there's no, it's just all weird, but mm -hmm. yeah, so that's, that's one thing there, but no, I mean, like, because I've got such a personal connection with each client, like 
I, I know their voice, like when they, you know, their name pops up when they call, um, like, you know, we, every putter we're working on, their name is on the, uh, we print off a label. Um, so that's cool as I use Google sheets and, um, and then as Zapier is like pulling the data from WooCommerce and sending it around, it also sends to, uh, Google sheets and creates a label where it puts all their info on it, but then it also puts in the, um, the web address to the Trello board. And then I create a QR code also like have a drop down, I just pull down all, all the QR codes. And so I literally can like on the box that follows each putter around, I just hold my phone up to it with the QR reader. It automatically goes into the Trello board and we're looking at their name all the time. So it's a very personal process. Like each putter has its serial number and then the shape and then their name. And so um, we're, we're thinking about the people all the time. So yeah, there's, we're, we're too like on one hand, we're fast in terms of our systems and how smooth stuff goes around, but it's a slow process. Like when someone, it's very rare that I ship something the same day somebody buys it. Um, and so, you know, if a credit card isn't going to clear, it's going to take me a lot longer to finish the putter than it would for the credit card to clear. So, so you were just talking about shapes. Let me ask you how many styles of putters do you make right now? Uh, like eight ish. Um, I love the word ish. So, I mean, people will all the time, like, you know, the donut putter, like made a putter. It looked One exactly off, yeah. like the Homer Simpson donut. That is not a standard shape. Um, but we know how to weight things well enough that like, you know, we still got that one, like to like 350 grams. Um, so we, we, I, early on, I did all the shapes in SolidWorks and got really good that way. Now, because we have enough shapes, we know the relative volumes of wood and densities and all that jazz. We know kind of what we need to do weight wise. Cause like we put eight up to eight different weights inside each putter to make them perform. And you know, a lot of the engineering background stuff, we do that, but uh, each shape is unique. Um, but now if we want to do a new shape, we pretty much just sketch it out in like Corel and laser up a, a design with like the places for all the weights. Um, and then just kind of we're good enough that we can hit whatever weight we want. Uh, there's a lot of fudge factors. Like when you're designing something like you know what weight you're trying to hit. And then because every putter is done by hand, like hand sanded, hand shaped, all that. Um, you just, as you're going, you just put it on a scale. Oh, I've got three more grams to go. Okay. And then done. You hit it. It's like, Oh wow. How'd you manage to hit 353 grams on the dot? Well, we just stopped at 353. <laughs> it's not like it's, you know, a, a magic formula or anything. I mean, there's, there's formulas. It's not like it's like, has to be perfect. Like there's fudge factors that allow us to look a lot better than we actually are. You said you're, that you're uh, entering weights. What, what kind of weight are you installing? So we use lead weights uh, and those are we, so many like just random crazy things, but like there's a lead manufacturing company here in Grants Pass. So they make like lead cladding for hospitals and stuff. And so um, made some molds with some drafts on them and, you know, about three quarter inch diameter. And, uh, and then we just gave them like really long holes. And then we just tell them like, you know, different depths are different weights essentially. And so they pour um, the, we just say, you know, average roughly on like 35 ish grams and then just a bell curve. And so they just kind of shoot for 35 and just pour and they, you know, give us 200 some ingots of it. And some are 31, some are 38. And then we just, as they come in, we just weigh each one, put it in place. And then when we do our um, calculations for the putter itself, if we know we want to hit 350 grams and we have a certain weight or a certain shape, we know um, each shape is going to have a certain amount, uh, a certain volume of wood. And so then depending on the density of the wood, which we calculate before we start on it um, you know, just get the volume and the weight you know, the density. And then we multiply that by the volume of wood that's going to be left over. And then we know, okay, cool. There'll be a hundred grams of wood. So then we need to get 250 grams 
of lead inside there, 250 divided by eight. And then we, you know, might do heavier ones and towards the front, just where it's a little bit thicker, but uh, yeah, we just do the quick math, figure out exactly how much needs to go in and then we glue it in place and we shape it down. So the need to put the ingots in, is that what, uh, what pushed the design and the shapes? Was it that you had volume for weight or eyes? It's what people want to see. So like, um, the, the first shape we did, the Luna shape was kind of just how small can we make a putter where you have eight individual weights that are, you know, can be pretty thin, but you need to be able to fit eight weights. How can we do that in as small a space as possible? Um, some of their early shapes were more of like a candy bar style. So just rectangular and those have a lot taller weights. And we put four in there. And so that kind of dictated how we did that. And then there was one where we had them standing vertically and another one that we had them laying horizontally. Um, and then the, a lot of them are just, you know, someone said, Hey, I've got a tailor-made spider. Can you make one like that? Sure. There's our Widowmaker. Uh, Hey, I've got a, a, a two ball shape putter. Can you make one like that? Sure. There's our Argo. Um, it's, it's a lot of, it's just come down to what putter shape they currently have, or if we're looking to embed something or match a donut. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, we're, we specialize in just stupidly custom stuff. And if someone like we've done diamond shaped putters, whatever the job requires, we can figure out a way to do it. And you've talked a few times about, um, the specific density of the wood and you've talked about, um, using stabilized wood. Do you prefer stabilized wood over, you know, regular natural boards? We, we pretty much have to, um, golf is played in a uh, wet field often. And so the stabilization prevents the wood from warping and doing all sorts of goofy stuff. Uh, it brings the hardness up. So, you know, woods can be, we use a shore D durometer. So it typically for plastics, which you know, once you stabilize the wood, it kind of becomes a plastic, uh, for all intents and purposes. Um, but we, we like to be around uh, 70 on a shore D and stabilization gets you right up to that. And then we also will add acrylic to these woods and the acrylic is also roughly 70 on a shore D. And then they're both roughly 10 to be like 17 grams per uh, cubic inch for the density. And so it, it makes it so that the wood and the acrylic are very close in material properties. Um, and so there's a bunch of good reasons and it makes it really machinable. Um, you can you know, sand it really well. Um, we use an automotive clear coat for our like gloss on it to get it just a ridiculously clean gloss. And we do that. Like we, I literally have a buddy who, you know, used to paint dump trucks for a living and he just has his garage has a, uh, paint sprayer set up and puts on just the highest quality gloss takes multiple coats. But once it's done, you just get this gorgeous shine on it. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of random processes with many failure modes for each I one. just answered one of my main questions is when I did surfboards, we had a rough time. We would use polyester resin most of the time. And when we would do boards that were uh, wood boards, we would glass them with epoxy. And I hated polishing epoxy because I felt like I could never get a really good polish sheen. It never matched up with the polyester polish that you could do. And I was like, how is he getting these things so shiny? Yeah. Magic. So there it is. <laughs> yeah. No, it's um, like we had tried all sorts of just wax things, tried, you know, polishing to like 2,500 grit, um, tried a ton of stuff. And then I made a putter. So I actually made it for my buddy who's a, a boat racer. Um, there's this unique kind of racing in Southern Oregon of hydroplane boats. And they're these, they sound like bees, like just a million bees. They're like super, they're made out of wood. They're really low to the ground and they just haul butt up the river. Uh, he crashed him actually, I think his, what was it his, um, another co-pilot, whatever crashed a boat 
And so he took part of that boat and we put that as the base cap on one of his sputters. Super cool. But he's used to like things being really shiny. He's like, Hey, can you gloss this up more? I'm like, not really. He's like, can I try mine? Like, Please do. And it turned out great. Um, and then funny story, a couple of years ago, I crashed his boat going about 70 and I flipped the sucker. So those boats flip way too easy, but, uh, yeah, no, it just worked out and it, we just kept, I, there, there's a lot of things we had to try and tweak until it was perfect. And, um, there's a lot of, still a lot of ways for it to go wrong. And we have to prep the wood properly first to make sure there's no pits in it. Like we use the Illumilite UV resin to fill those sometimes, but even that getting it to have, no air bubbles in the resin. Cause it'll just, it it's, it'll penetrate anything really well. Um, and then you also have to gr get the right grit. Cause if you're too smooth, then the paint or um, the clear coat will peel on the edges. So you got to prep for that. And I know all these things because we've failed on all of those many times, but then we get it back, we fix it. We learn from it. And now we used to have a lot of putters break at the shaft. Um, and just cause I, I told you like, it's going to happen cause this is beta. Like we don't know what we're doing yet. Um, <laughs> Done, figure out a ton of ways to fix that. And now there's a couple of times where we'll like make a putter and like, shoot, forgot to do this one thing on it. Or they're like, Hey, can you actually add this? And so we have to pop it off and it takes three, like about five minutes of a heat gun on the shaft and then torquing it until my weak forearms want to fall off to finally get it off. So like we've got it really strong now, but all those things are only good now because we failed at them in the past. So another thing I noticed is, um, your head covers, do you make your head covers in house or what's the story with those? I have, so we started to, um, and like we made them out of leather. I had a high school kid that I taught robotics class and he's like, hey, I do leather word working or leather working. And so like we made these leather ones that are like hand stitched laser cut, um, really rustic looking. And yeah, we got out of that really fast. Like they didn't protect them that well. They were mostly junk. Um, and then uh, but yeah, now we do like crazy leather exotic ones that um, are handmade in Ohio. And then we also do embroidered ones where those are made uh, by a company called Golf Iconic in New Mexico. So as much as possible, like I put a high premium, like I don't, I will pay, like it's less about how much something costs and more about how close is it to me, like personally. So I will like, we get our shafts powder coated um, about three miles Southeast of us, we get our ball markers and repair tools like the stainless steel stuff manufactured about three miles east of us. We get wood uh, for making all these putters about four miles north of us. Um, we get uh, the lead um, close to that, about four and a half miles northwest of us. Um, and then so shafts, they're made, they're true tempers. So they're made in, I think they're made in Mississippi, somewhere down there, um, but they're made in America. Um, and then we get uh, grips we get from uh, uh, Grip Master. So they're Australian company and um, they make them in Thailand, but they just, they work really well for us and they're perfect. So that's like pretty much the only thing we get outside of the US and as much as possible, we get stuff made in uh, old Southern Oregon. You were talking about you get the wood locally. Is there certain species that you prefer to work with? And are there certain species that gave you so much trouble that you backed away? Yeah. So there's, um, there are certain woods that work a lot better than others. So we use a lot of big leaf maple. We use box elder maple. It's a really light colored wood that you can dye, um, really bright colors. Um, we use, we don't, we use walnut a little bit. Walnut's tough cause it doesn't always stabilize really well. And certain oily woods just don't allow the stabilization to penetrate. And so you can kind of tell like if wood is floating after you've vacuumed it and then, 
uh, let it soak and it just, it has an absorbent stabilization. You're gonna have a bad time. We've done Madrone. Um, Madrone doesn't penetrate really far. So we have to like make the putter drill the holes, then stabilize it, then add the weights, but such a pain. We don't do that very much. And then spalted maple. Um, it's maple that has like black lines in it, which are like a fungus is eaten through it. And that's just really weak. Um, it too, too prone to cracking. Same with Buckeye. Uh, we don't do a whole lot with Buckeye because Buckeye is another one that um, just over time, you know, we found that the ones that the putters that we were having the most problems with were Buckeye and spalted maple. Uh, but people send us wood all the time. We get people sending us barn wood, sending us baseball bat and doing a lot of uh, like I made a putter out of Russell Wilson's baseball bat that he used with the Yankees for a while. That was fun. Um, yeah. I mean, people, I've got like a museum in my shop of like all sorts of random How things cool. yeah. I've used. So like I've used cigar boxes uh, with tobacco leaves in it. Um, I've used a lot of like basketball court wood, like you know, Baylor, uh, North Carolina, uh, like, you know, championship court wood. Um, I've incorporated like sand from like, you know, Augusta or, um, you know, the, like the, you know, where they do the, the major, um, you know, Master. play the masters. Um, I've incorporated like flowers into them, you know, like flowers from like, you know, a guy's grandma's funeral. We, he dried some flowers from that and we put those in, uh, colored pencils. Um, we do a lot of like metals, uh, or like challenge coins for military stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's people, you know, people that own, uh, tree clearing services have sent us wood that they cleared from a special story, a special job or like wine barrels, whiskey barrels, um, you know, put pine cones and putters. Um, we did one where, uh, a guy's uh, dad passed away and they, um, used his ashes mixed in with the soil underneath a tree on the golf course. And then that fall, like, you know, one of the falls since the tree was grown up, um, he took some leaves from that tree and we incorporated those leaves into a putter. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, it's those, like, I love the things like, but wait, there's more like, Oh, this wood is actually wood from like Bermuda cedar, uh, from, you know, Bermuda. And like my grandpa used to make all sorts of furniture out of Bermuda cedar. Um, like things that like, you've got something that begs a question, but then like, there's something like, there's an extra layer to it. Those are the, like, I've made a lot of grown men cry. Like I've, I did one where I took shillelaghs. So they're walking sticks that you can like use to beat people with, I guess, from, from Ireland. And, and we took those like from the guys. So the kid's grandpa, um, he was getting it for his dad, not a kid, like the guy's grandpa. Um, and so he made it for his dad. And when his dad like saw the shillelaghs in there with the Irish colors of the flag kind of swirling through it, he said like, he's only seen his dad cry at funerals. And he cried when he saw that putter. So awesome. that was pretty neat. That's awesome. Yeah. Honestly, I wish I played golf or knew somebody that was a big golf fan. Cause I, in the back of my mind, I'm like, Ooh, I'd like to have this done or that done. Or one. I'm going to have to actually probably take up well, the hobby now. There's so many people who are golfers who have everything like golf. It's, a, yeah. it's becoming less of a rich man sport. Like it's one of the few things you can do during the pandemic. So it exploded, but there's a lot of people that, um, you know, if they're a golfer, they have everything they like, they can go buy whatever they want. And so when you come up with an idea and you can turn it into a putter that they'll be able to play with on the course, but also tells a story of their life and like, lets them know how much you know about them and appreciate them. And you're not just like slapping their company logo and calling it good. Like you're incorporating the sand from their home, um, you know, on the, um, Lake Michigan or something like those are the elements that we can figure out and you know, over the phone, something with something that's just going to make them cry like a baby. It's almost like a tattoo. I have nothing that special to me Oh, absolutely. that I would want to get it. Like I'm sitting here going, what could I do? Cause I love wasting money on stuff. 
but I'm going, but there's nothing that special to me. Yes. What I could do is that mallet that Austin lost to me. I could send that up there and get a putter made out of it. That would be pretty special. You know what you should do? You should ask him and say, uh, should you ever try to stabilize cedar? I mean, but you heard the man, you practice and you do a process and you find your failure points and you move on and you make a winning mallet. That's not, yeah. And there's been plenty of times like certain woods just don't like, it's always interesting. You know, um, I always put my, uh, put the wood in a, um, convection oven at about 250, And I just, I literally every hour or so I just take it out, put it on a scale and see what does it weigh? And then once it bottoms out, that's when like, I let it, I put it in a air sealed, um, uh, airtight container, let it cool down. Once it's cool, put it in. And so, you know, ideally it would go from you know, 200 grams up to like 400 grams. That'd be great. But yeah, there's plenty of times where you're like, if, if I don't get like, I'll, I'll do, I'll do them sometimes where they don't float. Um, but no, there's certain woods that just like the oil, the, the, the oil pressure inside is just not going to come out. Like there's nothing you're going to do. I don't even know. Like, I mean, you could put some Dawn dish soap on it and see if that would kill the oils or something, but no, it's, it's a lost cause. Sounds like you've really covered a, a wide, wide variety of projects. What is something that you've never been asked to make into a putter that that's still in the back of your mind. And you're just hoping somebody comes up with that idea that wants to buy one. I think it's horse hoof. Yeah. So it's hundred percent horse hoof. I, uh, I want to just, you know, put some of that, uh, keratin or whatever in there and just melt it down a little bit and, use it for glue. I'll just make as much of the pro like I'll use part of the horse for some of the glue. It'll be a beautiful thing. No, um, I want to do a coral reef one. And so I've tried a few different people, um, where I'd use my 3d printer, create like coral reef, uh, elements and then pour them with acrylic and then place them on the wood and make it just look like a coral reef. Um, I've got a couple people that I've like was close, but then they wanted to go a different direction. Um, but that's the one that I'm right now. I'm like, I just want to figure out how to do that. What is your favorite one you've ever made? Um, I mean, the one that just always pops in my mind first. So I made a putter out of Saddam Hussein's chair once. Oh, man. Yeah. So met a guy in Bermuda. A lot of my best stories come from Bermuda. Uh, good yeah. people there. Um, so met a guy at a tournament um, at Turtle Hill. And he's like, hey, can you make a putter out of anything? And this was still like, I think this was probably 2018, 2019. So I was like, still, I mean, I've been doing it for a little while, but still a little fresh. And I'm like, I probably could. I don't know. Like, what do you got in mind? It's like, well, could you make one out of a chair? Like, what do you mean? Like, like the fabric or like the foam? Like, what's like, yeah, I've got like, you know, like the fabric and the wood and like, could you do that? Like, I, yeah, I could probably plead it. Like, what do you got in mind? He's like, well, I was in Iraq uh, and we had raided one of the palaces and, you know, you're not allowed to keep anything because that's messed up, obviously. But I broke apart a chair and I stuffed it in my bag just because I wanted to have it. And it's been on the wall of my den for years, just sitting there. And if you could turn that into a putter, it'd be pretty sick. Like, okay, sure. Let's try it. So I stabilized the wood. And for the fabric, what I did was I um, put down a layer of just epoxy, like just, you know, normal, like um, it's actually golf club epoxy works really well um, uh, for like gluing stabilized wood. Um, So I laid some of that down until it started getting tacky. And then I put the fabric on top of it. And then I had to like pleat it around. So then I, I brought down an edge and then pleated it over, brought down the next, pleated it and just pleated it around the corners. Um, and then once that was glued, um, then I poured clear acrylic over everything 
And then once I like shaped it down, I just like made it kiss the pleats around the sides and then, um, had a wood face, a wood from the chair as the face wood from the chair as the bottom, um, the base, like the, then weights with the fabric over it and clear on top. And yeah. Wow. Uh, and then that one, like he still messaging me random, like, Hey, like when he first got it, he went to this ultra exclusive golf club, like Tom Brady's a member there. You can't have cell phones. Like, you know, everything is just word of mouth is how stuff transfers around. And by the time he got to the 18th hole of that tournament, everybody on the course knew about that putter. And he got invited up to the front to speak about it, um, at the, you know, this big military tournament. And he like got up and showed it off and spoke about his Saddam Hussein putter. Crazy. That yes. Fun. That's crazy. Oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> what a great one. That's a good one. I wasn't that expecting is, that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you're like, yeah, it's not often you get to work on Saddam Hussein's chair. So it was, uh, it wasn't like, you know, the, it, yeah, it was, just, it was, it was cool. It was like greenish with like, um, gold like lines in it and stuff. And yeah, like just the things people have in their dens that are just sitting there and not really getting shown off to anybody that you'd never get to talk about. But as soon as you put it in a putter, um, you it people just ask about them that's something we learned early on so early on we we're just like we want to make pretty looking putters that are made out of wood and that was kind of our our thing and there were a few other companies kind of doing that in different spaces not as like colorful and pretty as us but that and then i started getting people telling me all the time how much they're getting asked about it i'm like oh that's cool like it's you know something novel enough that um you know it gets noticed but then i started realizing that could be our entire company is like the storytelling aspect of it. Like we can create something that will allow a person to tell a story. Like, you know, um, had a guy today, like his father passed away and he wanted to incorporate some stuff like from like, you know, Turkey feathers. Cause they did a bunch of Turkey hunting together. Like we'll even incorporate like some of his ashes in the alignment line, just cause he was his guide. Like we can do some of these things that like, you're, you're not gonna be able to figure there's just no one else does what we can do in that space really at all. Like there's, and we're unique to golf, but being able to like run with the story so much is, um, it's fun. It's, it's definitely what, like, that's why people come to us most often. It's not like they just want, mm -hmm. you know, a great putter that looks cool. It's like, they want to incorporate something about their life into a putter that they, they can, you know, show off to their friends and talk about at corporate events or just bring something special with them every time they go golfing. It's really awesome. That's so cool. So we, we ask everybody that comes on the podcast, the same, this one same question and it's their three tools question. So it's like desert Island. Like if you had to leave your shop and you can only take three tools with you, what are the three tools that you would choose? Uh, is there cell service? Sure. <laughs> Guys, sure. my phone is, a, yeah. my phone is honestly a tool. I use a ton. Like I use my phone to do my sales calls. Um, I use my phone for like the Trello for taking pictures for, I mean, people message me, I have drift on my website. So if you went on my website and you saw like, um, you know, are you interested in starting a project? If you were to type anything into that, it instantly goes to my phone and I can start talking to people right away. If I'm snuggling my daughter at night and like a message comes on Instagram, like I'll just be able to respond right away. And it always, it freaks people out how fast I typically am with that. But it, you know, when I, my business is creating relationships with people and then selling them putters, like you got to be relatively quick on that. So a uh, phone would be one. Um, and then other tools. Um, let's see. So I guess it depends on what I'm, trying to do like you know if i'm going there to then make butters i'm trying to get off the island um I, a leatherman like 
It'd be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, it's, you could do a lot with it. You know, um, Survivor Man, Les Stroud. You guys mm-hmm. watch that? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He lives in my town. His uh, his his wife was my uh, wife's doctor for part of our labor and delivery. So yeah, I'd see him around. It's great. Um, so yeah, Leatherman, Bone, and another tool. Um, I'd probably go with. I think like a multi-purpose thing that could be used to make fire. I'd say glasses if I needed them, but I don't. Uh, that's a good question. Um, and you get shoes, right? Like, I mean, shoes are important. You gotta have shoes. That's that's a that's a given, of course. Um, I'm gonna say another uh an axe all right wait no you don't have shoes so you get to i pick, don't have shoes but wait but wait so you have to pick flip-flops tennis shoes golf shoes only one only one type of shoe to sustain you uh in the wild i'd i'd go with probably and being on an island i i'd stub my toes and flip i wear flip-flops all the time but i stub my toes constantly with those so i couldn't do flip-flops because i would die of some random disease where i stub my toe so nix that um, yeah, I, I probably just go just like hiking boots would be hiking fantastic, okay. but then yeah, just a hatchet. I think if I, if I had my phone, a hatchet and a Leatherman, I could, yeah, have a, a small colony going in no time. I'm with you, man. <laughs> Minus yeah. the people. I don't know where the people would come from, but, uh, it'd be ready for people. <laughs> Before we sign off, Brad, what's your go-to brand of flip-flop? Uh, Chacos probably. I don't own them right now, but I have in the past and they were fantastic. Um, yeah, those were, I need to get some new ones right now. It was just, you know, whatever, uh, random cheap one I got and my feet suffer for that. So I'd have to say Chacos. All right. Y'all got anything else? I will say Trello. Like if, if you guys are listening and want to like incorporate anything I've talked about, just write down Trello, T-R-E-L-L-O it's workflow software that allows me to like, I have three lists to do, doing and done. And then checklists like cards with, um, you know, prep block and waiting and shaping, et cetera. And in those cards, I have checklists and then I can add my clients to that. So like I can, uh, and I can add them to a board and they can see everything I do. I can upload pictures. They can upload pictures. That's awesome. So dig through Trello. Um, and then if you like are selling stuff online and you're using WooCommerce, then the TM extra product options, fantastic. Google that one. Um, and then Zapier is awesome. Z-A-P-I-E-R. What Zapier does is it allows you to like move stuff around the internet. So it pulls metadata from WooCommerce and then I can put it into Google Sheets or I can put it into Airtable. Airtable is a database system like Google Sheets, but it's a lot more robust. So Airtable, A-I-R-T-A-B-L-E. And then... Um, Let's see. Uh, yeah. Trello, Airtable, Zapier. There's a lot of software that can save your butt. So don't get stuck in the weeds of making stuff every day. Like if you can take a day and work on your systems, you will mm. thank yourself later. Absolutely. My, my two cents. That's that is great advice. Absolutely. Great advice. Where, uh, where can everybody find you? Bradleyputters.com. Um, at Bradley Putters on Instagram. Uh, I'm actually, pretty like reddit is uh i don't post there too often but people on reddit love me which is weird and fantastic (laughs) so very thankful for that um and then yeah just reach out my dms like if you have questions about um any system stuff or something i said and you want clarification just yeah get on instagram and dm me excellent man we really really appreciate having you tonight awesome man thank you so much
Thank you. Wow, what a great interview. Um, that guy really knows his stuff, huh? Great energy. So excited about it. Love seeing to that for sure. Yeah. And so I brought it up when we started talking to him. His story just reminds me of Austin, um, how you know you find this niche that you're passionate about, and then you're able to capitalize that and turn it into a business. But not only that, you know, that spirit of continuing development, never settling, uh, R&D. And I loved when he talked about his process instead of uh, a parallel process, doing a linear process so that if his failure was early on, uh, he discovered it on the first one, instead of having three that had that similar failure. That was a neat way of thinking about doing a project like that. Cause I would have thought batching out would have been mm -hmm. uh, the way to go for sure. But when he was talking, you know, it, it kind of was pointed out earlier. I think Christy actually pointed it out. We all kind of have our little niches that we're known for that we work in. You know, Austin has the pins and the surfboards. Uh, I, I think probably the only thing I've really made in the last year seems to be a stamp. And then uh, I know, Christy, you're known for the family heirloom type furniture, the barn wood that has a story behind it type stuff. So I thought maybe we could just talk about our own niches and then maybe see if the other ones had some questions about our processes. Sounds great. Let's do it. All right. So I'll, I'll start us off just so we know where we're going. Um, you know, stamps, stamps is so weird. And I, I think we've talked about it on the podcast before, but never in my life that I go, I want to make a stamp or I want to make stamps. What I wanted was a brand. And I was so desperate to find a brand for myself. I wanted, like, I love branding. I wanted t-shirts and hats and I wanted, uh, you know, portfolios and stickers and everybody wants stickers. And so I was so desperate, not only for this brand, but then how do I get it out there? And I did buy a branding iron eventually. And I was a little disappointed with the consistency and the cost and the time to heat it up and then what materials it can go on. And I was like, well, I'll try to make a stamp. And what started off as one stamp for myself and then 10 stamps for my friends has turned into about 300 stamps now. And every one has been a learning process and they've gotten better and better and better and better. Um, and it's, it's just been enjoyable. And sometimes I get a little perturbed, like I'm more than stamps. Like I've made some cool stuff and I'm always making other things as well, but the stamps are why I have followers. So I, I can't be begrudging to the niche that's gotten me the account that I have and gotten me on this podcast, honestly. Yeah. I don't think that that's, you know, something to shy away from either. It's, it's not just stamps. It's, it's woodworking. It's, it's digital, you know, with the laser figuring all that stuff out, which is, you know, obviously out of my realm. Mine too. Um, and then also your R and D that you went through with all the different backers to get from, you know, my shitty stamps that you started with and then gave to me. Yeah. And then the level you're at now where, you know, you get the big bucks for. Yeah. And you can pay for one if you want it now. That's um, right. <laughs> you know, I, there's something to be said to that because let's see how many times we can mention Grant in one episode. And so I've heard Grant on clamp talk about, you know, he, he's a one and done guy. And I always felt like I was like that too. I'm going to make a project one time and I'm never going to make it again. But what I learned from the stamps was that if I only make a serving tray once, and then I never make another serving tray, then my best serving tray I made is probably only 50% of my ability in serving trays. And I, I learned that because my first stamp, it was good enough. And I actually, I still have one of the original two I still do use, but my first stamp was nowhere as good as the 20th stamp. And it's not that you have to make 20 serving trays, but if you limit yourself to just one of everything, 
then maybe you will not ever discover that there's a passion or there's, there's something more there. I'm the same way with projects. Like I get so tired of a pro like, like these animal stands that I'm working on. I'm so over them, but at the same time, I'm really trying to push hard because I want them to be the best quality I can get. And if I wanted to make a second one, number one, I'd cut that time in half. And I'd also, I would have changed the whole process. I would, I would reorder the things that I did, you know? And and like you said, the only way that you're going to get that is by some form of repetition, you know, whether it's just one more time or, you know, five more times. So on repetition, I mean, those pins, that's a repetitive process. I mean, how do you fight burnout? How do you drive innovation? How do you decide that even though this is my bestseller, there's another style pin out there that I need to discover? It's tough. It's tough to fight when you're doing so many of the exact same thing. It's tough to fight the burnout because it's, it's going to happen. You know, it's just, it's just, I think it's just a fact of life to be honest, because I mean, and, and I think there's certain people out there that maybe they don't get burned out, but I am not one of those people. I, I will <laughs> gladly admit that I get burnt pretty quick. Um, I love a new idea. Anything sound like there's nothing better in the world to me than the new idea I just came up with. Ask me in two weeks and I'm going to tell you the same thing again. This new idea is, you know, so it, it's tough. And I think that the way to do it is just like, like, um, Bradley putters was just saying was he's constantly being challenged by his customers. That's a cool, um, way to not get burned out because mm-hmm. you, you have to be involved. You have to be creative and, and, and figuring out problems or sorry, let's say solving problems. And, you know, one thing I noted on Bradley after, you know, in the after show, which our Patreon customers will get to hear, um, he was talking about, I asked him about the shaping and he, he kind of pointed out his, he's got a guy that does all that. And so I wonder if you found the parts of the process that are repetitive or really drained you, if you, you did the whole swap out, like, okay, I'm not making any more of this part of the pen anymore. I'm bringing somebody in to do that. And I'm moving on to something else. Um, has that seen any relief for you? Well, right now I don't have anybody else working for me. So it was when during the time because you have I no had, payroll money. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> I'm a hackers cleaned out my account. Um, no, just you know, it was my uncle that worked with me retired, and it just worked out, anyways. Um, but that's exactly what I did in the surfboard business because when I during the surfboard business, I bought a second surfboard business from a come from a guy. I bought a second company. And we were actually manufacturing boards for other labels. So we were doing private label stuff. I had zero interest in that because that mm. was basically like mass production of something I didn't care about. You know, that didn't have my name on it. It wasn't my designs. It wasn't anything. It had nothing to do with me except for it was a way to pay the bills. So that's exactly what I did. I had a whole crew that they didn't even touch my stuff. They just worked on that stuff. And that was a way that I was able to keep my surfboard brand unique to me and being able to come up with cool, unique things um, and, and keep it fresh and, and not get burned out. And then the other thing, you know, when Brad was talking, it seems like he really gets enjoyment out of not making putters. He gets enjoyment out of working with someone and developing their story. And that made me think of you, Christy, because Mm -hmm. a lot of the projects you've made, the, the purse made out of the barn wood, you just did that puzzle 
that for the wedding that had all the different names and you had a reason why behind all the wood, where the wood came from. You know, what's just, what's some of the process that you go into to make sure that everything you build is more than what you know, you see? Well, yeah, that really, that really is my focus. And I think it's kind of, it's incorporating or it's really digging into my day-to-day life now too, beyond just the projects that I make. But, you know, as we're going and maybe the wedding is, is an ideal opportunity for me to, or for us, for Marvin and I to really find all the connections and, and tie as many things together as we can, because that's really, that really is what's most important to me. Um, our family, our story, our connection. Um, and, you know, when I'm, when I'm, whether I'm building, you know, the, the corner cabinet for my sister-in-law and my brother, or whether I'm making, you know, the, the box for my niece after her, you know, first communion, you know, I want them to enjoy what I made. Um, but I really want them to feel that connection to what I made it with. So I, I would love to make more than one, uh, leather and walnut purse or more than one unity puzzle. But my brain is just like, it won't let me, you know what I mean? I'm just ready to get to the next story, the next project, the next opportunity to continue to share these projects that I've not really let myself improve my process. Yeah. That, that is a difference there because if the project is the story it would almost be insane to just keep retelling the same story over and over and over and over. Right. Um, so finding a way to put a unique twist on, even though the woods from the same source to be able to put a unique twist and how it's incorporated back. Um, that, it, that is a challenge I see. Yeah. Cause I'd love to make uh, particularly make another of, of the purses just because I would like to have a different type purse, a different size purse, because they're, you know, they're definitely something I use on a daily basis. I'm, I'm a bag lady. Um, so now I'm trying to think through the process of what's going to be different about this one from the last one. Cause you know, that walnut tree that I've made, um, you know, mom's lazy Susan and my walnut purse and Katie made her, her, um, her bowl that she carved. We still have a ton of that walnut left. So I'm, I can make, I don't even know how many projects, um, I think one of the one of the next projects will be a bench for my front porch because we have some great slabs that I think will will be beautiful um, to make as a bench. So, you know, I'm just always trying to think of of different connections and, and different ways to to tie it all together, whether it's adding leather to something that's that's, you know, made out of something wood from the from the farm. Um, but just trying to, you know, connect that story because buying a piece of furniture from Ikea or whatever, there's no story to that. There's no connection to that. You know, uh, my kids aren't going to fight over that whenever I'm gone. And ultimately that's my goal. I want my kids to fight over my furniture (laughs) when I'm gone. (laughs) My kids are going to fight over who has to move all the crap in my workshop when I die. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a review and subscribe. If you'd like to reach out to us, or if you know of a maker with a fantastic project that deserves a deep dive, send us a message on Instagram at Making Our Way Podcast. 
You can find all of our latest individual content on Instagram and YouTube. Austin is at High Caliber Craftsman. Christy can be found at Twisted Twine Woodworking. And I'm at Dean underscore Deplanis. Thanks again, friends. Relatively quick sidebar. Uh, at the start of the pandemic, the hospital didn't have PPE. Like there was no pr- personal protective equipment. And so I spent uh, almost two months. I shut down everything here and let a team of like 200 people using Trello, using, uh, we use Slack a lot for that because there's a lot more communication. Um, but we created local supply chains for PPE using the same processes I use here. So yeah, I just systems make the world go around. If you don't have a system, you're, you're going to fail.